This is the Get Healthy 360 Podcast, where we discuss topics related to your physical, mental, financial, and spiritual health. Your host is Dr. Chris Ferguson, board certified in anesthesiology and pain management. This podcast is for informational purposes only, and you should consult your primary health care provider before making any decisions related to your health. And here's your host, Dr. Chris Ferguson. Oh, one more thing before we start. If you like this episode, please consider rating us five stars. We would really appreciate it. Thanks very much. Welcome to Get Healthy 360. Today we have with us Sally Lou Loveman. So Sally Lou Loveman spent a lifetime doing what she loves. She was the former audience producer for the Oprah Winfrey show. That's right, Oprah Winfrey. She lives her life through purpose and connecting with audience members. She, at the age of 14, discovered her passion for television when she was an audience member on the Mike Douglas show. After that, she went on to a 35 career in television and having entertained over half a million people from the Oprah Winfrey stage, having met and interacted with notable celebrities like Denzel Washington, yes. Tom Cruise, and who do your, your, your other favorite? Well, Denzel's number one, Tom, and, you know, Whitney Houston, Will Smith, you know, just some of my face, Danny DeVito, Diane Keaton. I don't know. Where do I begin? Where do I end? There's some casual famous people that, <laughs> that you've hung out with. Super casual. So now what she's doing is serving her clients and engaging with audiences and, and giving inspirational presentations that connect people with their truth, talent, and life's work. But one of her favorite quotes from jo- Joseph Campbell is, the privilege of a lifetime is being who you are. So what she's doing today is sharing her story in some depth and great stories have a certain degree of pain because looking from the outside, you would think that she had a very easy life without any issues, but we're getting into that today. Everyone has pain, everyone has issues. And really the podcast is about getting healthy and her story is definitely about getting healthy. And what this podcast hopefully will do is showcase how she's telling your story because really what she's doing now is helping people tell their story and bringing out everyone's individual uniqueness and helping them broadcast that out to a stage, whether that's a stage of your family members, a local group, or even nationally or internationally on a podcast, YouTube channel, or on TV, etc. So Sally Lou, thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you so much, Chris. You really got me. You get it. <laughs> it's so great. you're working with Oprah Winfrey. Life is going great. And you have this 50th birthday party that mm-hmm. your great friends throw for you. Mm-hmm. So let's start right there. How does that go for you? Well, I'm going to cry now because those great friends of mine are not in my life. And I love them dearly. Um, but eight years from 50, uh, things got a little messy in my life. And when things get messy, you know, uh, lots of mess. And um, some people are in for the mess and some people are not. Um, I don't say that with judgment. I say that with understanding. Like, you know, it's just, it's just hard. So my 50th birthday, I was really excited. Uh, I was excited. But all of a sudden, I found myself in just a pile of tears. Like I kept crying, I kept crying, I kept crying. And what was happening was I had this beautiful surprise party that kept happening all weekend. It was my dear friends 
as well as my husband who planned it and all of our family members kept arriving. And I was like, what is happening? And, you know, we had a big dinner and we went out on a trolley and we got drunk and we had fun, but I was crying the whole time. And I'm not saying I was sobbing. I just felt this sadness. And when I look back at it now at 58 and I hadn't, I really didn't have much to be sad about back at 50, um, but I felt something coming. I felt something bad coming. I felt that I wasn't being truthful with myself. Um, We had financial issues that we were trying to deal with. We were living a life that was not authentic, really. I mean, I was authentic to who I was. I've never not been. That will never change for me. I'm always going to be who I am. But we were just trying to keep up. And I guess we thought that was important, or at least I'll speak for myself. I thought I, it was important to have the big house and to, you know, I was working for Oprah and, you know, we, we were members of a country club and we had no business doing that really because um, it, it wasn't exactly, you know, we fell into that whole, like, get a bigger house and, you know, the whole mortgage the scheme, scam scheme, whatever. And we took it hook, line and sinker. And in the end, um, you know, we live in a small townhouse now. I wouldn't call it small, but, you know, small in comparison. And in the end, we all know, you know, home is where the heart is. You make a home where you find the love. Um, But the whole quote that you started with, the privilege of a lifetime is being who you are. I am me. And I never not want to not be me. And I felt the unraveling the rumbling, as Brene Brown would say, at 50, that I wasn't exactly being me. And it took me uh, a long time to go back and find that person. Um, What would come would be tremendous marriage problems, a betrayal, financial things that I didn't know about. Uh, You know, I would lose my dream job, not because I was fired, but because the show ended at the Oprah Winfrey show. I would. lose some friendships. I would lose my father. I would lose my dog. We would lose our home. When I say lose our home, we, it was not foreclosure, but we sold it to a lovely family. Oh my gosh. So lovely for nothing. I mean, we came away with nothing and we came away with not being able to buy a home and all of that. So, you know, all of this stuff, but you know, it's called growing and there was a lot of pain. There still is a lot of pain, but I, I, I really think it's so interesting that you say start at the 50th birthday party because I've never really talked about that, but I must've mentioned it to you when we were um, in, you know, a, a pre-interview. And the truth is, is that I, I have em- empathic tendencies. I can can feel people really well. I think it's why I was drawn to Oprah. I was raised by an empath, my father, who was a physician. Yes, he saved people's lives, but he really saved people's like, like be who you are, be you, be you. He was really a great coach. And, uh, and so I was able to survive the betrayals in my marriage, the betrayal in my marriage, I should say, because I was brought up on the very fact that you are who you are and no one can take that away from you. If people decide they don't want to be in your life, then you're going to have to let that go. Just keep being who you are. 
So let's talk about, if it's okay with you, first the money aspect. Now, um, I've interviewed some other other physicians and professionals, and especially with COVID, there's some people with very, very high incomes that because of COVID, their incomes have dropped. And because they were living at that brink of their income just met their expenses and they didn't really have a cushion, they are not really in a good place. But looking from the outside, things are different when you're looking from the outside. So from the outside, it, it would seem that you really should be financially really, really well to do. You should have no financial worries. So now the quote from Joseph Campbell is, the privilege of a lifetime is being who you are. And for people who aren't familiar, Joseph Campbell is the author of The Hero of a Thousand Faces. He talks about the hero's journey. And in order to reach a new plateau or really discover who you are, you, you go through a journey, which, which is never a pleasant journey. And that's how you learn who you are. Now, looking from the outside, people would assume you're working for Oprah Winfrey, you're the producer, you're, you're doing all these phenomenal things. Money should never be an issue for you. And there are a lot of people who are looking at their lives right now, and money is a serious issue. So I think there are a lot of people that identify with where you're coming from, because who would have expected the entire country to be shut down by this virus? No one. So how did you end up there? Uh, well, it started when I was born. <laughs> <laughs> Shopping was a uh, something that my sisters and mom and I just loved. And for some reason, it, it got the best of me because, um, you know, I definitely, I guess I have a shopping addiction. I've gotten uh, really, really good at controlling it a bit. I definitely slip up. It, I love it. I can't help it. I I'll love understand shopping. that because shopping is one of the most painful things for me to do. I can only be in a store for about five to what 10 do you minutes. Love? What do you love to do? I actually like to sit and read and go for a walk with the dog. I'm a pretty simple okay. person. Okay. So wh- how does it feel when you're in a store? Because I'll tell you, if I'm in a store, it's crowded and it's busy and I'm buying stuff that I don't really want. And I can wear the same thing every day and be totally content with that. Yeah. Well, COVID has taught us that. That is for sure. Because, um, you know, the 24-7 of wearing of yoga pants has become a new normal and I my dry cleaning bill is zero and you realize through this pandemic of all the things that we can live without and so my spending and shopping has gotten much better I will just answer this how how does it it feels like I'm in Disney World like if I'm in Neiman Marcus or a beautiful boutique I smell it. I love it. It's like I talk about in my book, you know, if an environment sucks you and it pleases all five of your senses, that's where you should be. For me, it's a television studio, but for me, it's also Neiman Marcus or any beautiful boutique. I don't want to go to a poorly um, merchandise store. That does not do it for me. I want to see what I want. I want to see the people I know. And they're like, hey, Sally Lou. You know, it's all of that experience. I've definitely learned that from my mom. My mom is a fashion icon. I love, you know, being looking good. I like right now, like, like it's interesting. I'm shopping in my own closet because I can't shop, but I, um, I have gained weight from COVID. So now it's really about being healthy. I'm trying to lose the weight so that I can be healthy, but so I can also fit in my clothes because that's important to me. So for me, it's like, 
exhilaration. Love it. I love all, every bit of my senses are turned on when and 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 satisfied when I'm shopping. And um, there's a safety. There's something because I've explored this in therapy, so I'm good at this. There's something about knowing that when I'm packing for a trip or if I have an event, I know that I have something that's perfect and that's going to fit me. So it's body image, it's safety, it's fun, it's all of it. And when I walked into my first therapy, couples therapy appointment, uh, after the discovery, what happened in our marriage, I remember I walked in and I had a letter and I was like, it's all his fault. Cure him, help him. And, uh, the truth is, you know, it was about 80% him, but as my therapist, who's holistic, uh, therapist, who is literally like the most precious person in our life. He said to me, Sally Lou, when you own your peace, you will heal a lot faster. And I was like, what peace? So as a quick question, did the therapist decide it was 80% him and 20% no, you? Or did no. you decide that? No, that's me. That's Dr. Oh. Lehman. What, no. <laughs> what did the therapist decide? No, he would never say, he would never give a percentage. He'd say 50-50, I guess. No, oh my goodness. Don't, 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 no. Okay, no, just, I was just clarifying. Therapy, 50-50, he would never take a side. But so, I went in assuming he was going to be on my side. And when he wasn't, I was like, what is happening? But I'm like, but I have a letter proving everything I've done that's been right and everything he's done that is wrong. And that's when he said, when you own your peace, you will heal. And all I wanted was to heal. I didn't even go in thinking our marriage was going to survive. I went in saying, I just need to heal because this feels awful. How about we talk, let's focus on the money and then we'll see how that then bleeds into the relationship issues. Okay. So how do you take a shopping habit, which seems like, again, I, it's hard for me to understand because I don't like shopping. I can only go shopping with my wife for about five to I like minutes. reading and walking dogs. So I, I, Done. I, I, I'm pretty, I have a super like cotton t-shirts and jeans. Good to go for me. Yeah. Um, how do you take shopping? How do you go from shopping to like having to sell your house at a loss? Well, it was, it was not all me. I didn't, I didn't bring our family down. It was certainly. Oh, okay. Me. So it was 50, 50 probably. Oh yeah. Oh, it was less me. But it wasn't my husband either. He's not a spender. We were just living. We couldn't afford our mortgage. We were living out. We were living beyond our means. And I had a full-time job and uh, had a salary. Uh, we were also paying a lot in babysitting because our kids were younger. And, you know, my husband's business is commission-based. So there are years that are good and there are years that are not good. So we just got caught up in, in suddenly our house was like strangling us. So it wasn't like we were going on fancy trips and taking, you know, we did take trips mostly with our families. Um, our families are extremely generous. Um, but we, we just, we just could not afford the lifestyle. And I remember quitting the country club and I was like, Oh God, Oh my God. If I had to walk in that country club now, I would kill myself. This is how I've changed, you know? And then I thought, well, Oh my gosh, we can't sell the house. But then I was like, yeah, we can. And I was, and I just was so excited about starting new and having a clean slate because now I'm in therapy. Oh no, no. So sorry. So sorry. I was not in therapy. I wanted to have a clean slate on the financials 
and just start over. And we went and we rented a home. And in that time, I was like, yay. Now we don't have a mortgage. Our rent is much less than our mortgage was. We're going to get back on our feet. I said to my husband, we're going to have the best sex of our lives. And then I said, and by the way, go do your thing. I got the kids now. The show was over. My, I still was working at, at Harpo, but our, my schedule was much better. So he was getting the kids off to school and all of that for, you know, 10 years or so. And I was like, hey, I got that covered. Go be a superstar. So, and, if, you had, so if you had advice for really anyone at any, I feel like that would apply to anyone in any age bracket. If you could give them a few pieces of financial advice, knowing what you know now, what would it be? Oh, well, a 401k for sure, which I have, thank God. Save every time you get a paycheck, put a little something away. It's just the, it, you know, and invest. These are, these are things I've never thought of. I had my head in the sand, Chris. I had my head in the sand. I was too busy. I was too much into doing what I loved. I was being praised every day. Yes, I was working hard, but I was living a dream. I was living a fantasy that was awesome. And I was being paid and I was working hard to do it. Uh, I, you know, I had held the family's insurance, all of that. I got to take my kids on great trips that were uh, specifically because of who I worked for. Oprah took us on amazing family vacations. And we all benefited from my career. But, um, but I had my head in the sand. I'm too busy. I'm too busy. I'm too busy. You do that. I still do that because I hate money. I literally hate budgets. I hate money. I'm, I'm just not, it's, it's clearly causes me pain. Uh, when I was a little girl, my mother would go to the bank my father, as I said, is a physician, and she'd deposit the bank through the drive-through, and I'd be in the back seat, and she would say, "I've already spent all Dad's money, so I don't know what's going to happen. I'm going to be overdrawn." She never was. We never went to jail because I'm like, "Oh my God, what is happening?" But she would say these things, and I was worried. But honestly, every time I was like. Are there fairies putting money? And my parents were financially fine, but she would put this in my brain. And I thought that there were like fairies putting money in our bank. And because I was like, well, we never went to jail. So I guess we never got, were overdrawn, which we were never. But, and trust me, I grew up very privileged, very, very, very comfortable. Um, but, but I really had this image and so I carried that into my adult life, which is- Fairies putting money in the bank account? Yes, which is a horrible, horrible thing to do. And uh, when I go home to see my mom, I always do my walk through the little village, the town, and I always walk by that bank and I'm like, Ugh! and I'm like, oh, I need some fairies now, man. But it's, it's so cool to go back and see where that source is. And I'll just say this, and maybe I'm jumping ahead, Chris, but- like I said, when we moved to the rental, I'm like, you know, team love men, clean slate. We're going to be great. Go be a superstar. And what was really happening, it wasn't that we couldn't afford our house. It wasn't that, you know, we were having financial problems. There was pain in my husband and he wasn't addressing it. And it was coming out in small ways that were red flags. So that happened. And I was like, sell the house. Something's wrong. 
we sell the house, we move, and then more stuff happens. So now I'm going, okay, this isn't just a guy that's a bad guy. This is a hurt guy. There is pain. So it's it's interesting how your spending habits really were, were learned, for better or worse, from your parents, which everyone's are. So I think if people are in a good financial situation, it's probably lessons from your parents. And if you're not in a good financial place, it's use, probably useful, like you mentioned, to and look at those remember, roots. Well, remember, I also have two siblings who have absolutely zero financial problem. So, you know, it just every individual is different. So money often is a cause of marital distress. Yes. But if someone has pain that they're dealing with, that exactly like you said, will manifest yeah. in different ways. So yeah. do you want to talk about the relationship well, issues? Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, here we were having a clean slate. And the craziest thing is, is that we moved into the house that 20 or 18 years prior to us meeting the rental, we had looked at this home, we'd put an offer on the home and we reneged at the last minute because I didn't want to buy a home in Chicago because I really wanted to move back to the East Coast, which is where both of our families live. And that ends up being the home. You know, I think it was like $350,000 and we didn't buy it. And then, you know, we bought several years later, we bought a wonderful home that we then sold for the house that we shouldn't have bought. And so now here we are full circle back to the home that we're renting that we should have bought to begin with and never left. And every time I pulled up into the driveway, I was like, okay, I hear you, God. I hear you. I get it. I hear you. So that really started helping me on my financial recovery, I would call it. But then all of a sudden this betrayal happens in my family, in my marriage, I should say. And all bets are off. Now I'm like, whoa. And I'm like, we just got rid of all of our stress. How could there be more. And the truth is, my husband and I, we've been together since we were 22. We knew mutual friends from college. Our lives, we have very, very close friends, friends from childhood, college, work, that all, you know, are included. You know how couples like, oh, well, I like her, but I don't like him in a couple. Like that, we have, we have really strong couple friends. We also have individual friends, but we have really close friends. And our family, want, you know, you say financial is one of the things couples fight about. Couples fight about in-laws. And our family, like, we are so close that our, even our, our siblings are close with the siblings. So we have no in-law problems. We are nothing but supported by family in every way. Uh, so everyone was like, when this betrayal happened, um, what's happening? Like, there's more to the story. And here's what happened. Truth. And truth is sexy. Truth is the one thing that will cure everything, no matter how hard it is to hear. And when my husband started telling me the truth, I've never been more in love with him in my life. It took time, obviously. We were separated. Uh, it was very painful. But we started doing the work. And that work started with family. Our family came in they supported us. They sat what us down. Truth? What's that? You said that, well, you said he told you the truth. So yeah. Truth? The, well, the, the truth is, is what was happening and his betrayal is what I'd like to call it. Sure. Um, and also some financial stuff that I didn't know about. My head was in the sand. That's my piece. I own it. Um, my 
head is no longer in the sand. I get it. There are no hidden credit cards that I have from my husband. It is all on the table. Do I shop? Yes. Do I tell him? Yes. Um, am I responsible now? Yes. Are we working our way back every single inch of the way to be as financially responsible as we can? Yes. I don't want to live or breathe another second on this earth not being who I am. And I want to respect that. There are way too many people who've helped us out. Uh, I don't want to fail those people. Those people are the most important people in my life, uh, namely my sister and brother-in-law and sister-in-law and brother-in-law um, and family. And, and, and so that's really important to me. Are we perfect? No. But anyway, I, I will say this. My pain is very comforting to me in some ways because it allowed me to really open up and fight for every single thing that mattered, which was really just my three children, my marriage, and my family, and our family. And it was hard. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of self-esteem. It takes a lot of confidence. If I wasn't raised with unconditional love, I might not have been able to do it. So how do you forgive someone that has betrayed you? That's a tough question, but how do you do that? Yes. The only way you can forgive, first of all, I, this was taught to me by uh, Oprah uh, and taught, she taught millions of people that forgiveness is a gift to yourself. It doesn't at all say that what the person did was okay. It says, I am now no longer your prisoner. I am free of pain. And so I forgave him very early on, but I also heard truth come through his voice. And as soon as I heard truth and him go back to who he was, I was like, okay, I know that good person is still there, but the pain person is, is in control. So, and that pain person was in control for, uh, for a while. And, um, that part of it, the betrayal of the marriage, um, we worked through it through energy healing, through therapy, through church, through temple, our rabbi, our minister. We sat down with them. We talked. We made ourselves accountable. We would talk to our family members. We would be truthful with ourselves. And we found that the more we were working and in a structured situation, we were better off. So when you said the pain person was in control, what do you mean by that? The pain what? You said the pain person was in control of your husband. And the pain was in control. The pain was in control of my husband. I skipped ahead. Uh, what, what I would discover later, and this was about a seven-year period. I'm 58, so it started at about 51 for me, um, the betrayal. And then, uh, and then we were really doing well, lots of just, just intimacy and truth and strength and support. And, you know, some, you know, my husband is in a 12-step program now. He's um, just needs that structure um, for pain that he discovered uh, about a year ago. And um, when I saw little, you know, because I said to my therapist, our therapist, I said, like, I get that my husband will never betray me that way again. Like, we are so set on that and good with that. But what if the pain that caused him to do that causes him to do other things that would cause knee pain or our children pain. And he, my therapist was sort of like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, oh, I could list a, a million things, you know? I mean, 
gambling, DUI, you know, not paying the bills, losing a house. I don't know. I just, I'm not saying that's what he would do. I'm just saying there are other things that people do who are in pain. I said, can we get to the source of his pain? Because I know that there's something more. I know there's something more. And we never got to it in our therapy, but um, I'll just say when, when some more shit hit the fan, not at all like the first time, I said, that's it. I said, I am on your team. You are my husband. I love you. There's something wrong. And I need to get to the bottom of it. All my Oprah training, all my raising of my father who, you know, unconditional love. I was like, this, no, this isn't going to work. And I found him a program. I called the Betty Ford Center. My husband is not an alcoholic or a drug user, but I said to the Betty Ford Center, you do pain better than anyone else. You do recovery, sorry, not pain. You do recovery better than anyone else. I have a husband who has pain that he cannot get to. Probably, I call it like the 10-year-old inner wounded boy syndrome, and it's hurting our family. He is a good person, but he needs a program that will help him uncover his pain because for some reason, our great therapists aren't getting to it. And she told me the Karen Center, and that's where he went, and he discovered uh, his pain, and it has been nothing but I want to say blue skies since, but as soon as he uncovered that pain, it was like, oh, I get it now. Okay, I get it now. I totally get it now. And now we are able to, when something doesn't make sense, it means there's something that's being hidden. And now this was no longer being hidden. He didn't know he was hiding it. And he's able to name it and now move forward. And now the 10-year-old, really 13-year-old, um, is free. And, it's no, and he's no longer in charge of our marriage. My adult so what sex it sounds, So what it sounds like is he had significant trauma when he was 10 or 13. He, he had a, a trauma, yes. And when – did he even remember it? No. Did he connect that? I don't want to talk about that because it's not my story. Sure. But I, I, I will just say this. The 13-year-old who was in charge of our marriage because he was scared. So when he gets scared, 13 little boy comes back and he, that person is dangerous in our marriage. And so now that my adult husband, who is really supported through all of his programs that he does to stay um, healthy and well, uh, is back. And I, you know, I thought he was back a few years ago and he was, but it takes time. Healing doesn't just happen overnight. Healing is a lifetime. And I've already said, you know, okay, well, you know, something's going to happen again. How are we going to deal with it? How are we going to make sure that it doesn't last long? Like, how are you going to be truthful with me as scared as you are? You know, I mean, he, you know, if someone's in pain, it doesn't always mean that they hate the person they're with. It means I don't want that person to know because I don't want them to leave me or think less of me. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I need to know all of you. I need to know exactly what you're feeling and who you are because the other way will hurt me. And then I might not want to help you. So in, I'm really proud of our family. I'm really proud of our children. I'm proud of the, my husband. He is, you know, as long as our marriage as I've said, the only way our marriage will 
survive and continue is if you are in a program for the rest of your life. And that program is anything you want to call it. It could be 12 step. It could be a men's group. It could be, um, it, it could be a support group. It could be anything, but he's, he's got a very strict schedule and it's part of his lifestyle. And that is the way out of pain. You need mentorship. You need support. You need help. And it's not going to come from your wife or your mom or your dad. It's going to come from people who understand the language you speak when you speak of your pain. And I believe that is what will cure our, 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 our marriage. So you were, you're clearly empathic. At your 50th birthday, even though everything was growing great, you were sensing that things yeah. was coming. What do you yeah. sense for the future for you and your family? Well, it's such a good question. Um, I sense a, a great deal of hope. I really do. I, I, I sense that, um, that we're making good choices. I sense that we will survive this and be better for it. I sense that um, one day, my husband hates to public speak. He's not scared of most things, but he's really scared to speak in public. And I'm scared of everything except for speaking in public and the dentist. And I really hope one day that he is able to use his story to help others. And I think when you are in service to others, that is when your pain is, uh, is released. Because when you can use your story, your pain, um, to help, but I already, uh, that's been a huge part of my healing. Writing my book was a huge piece because I also believe writing our stories is a huge way to heal. So when you're in service to others and others lean in and your story lands on someone's heart and it's what happened when my husband was in the program. I mean, someone's story landed on his heart and he went, that's me. It's not the same. These circumstances are different, but that's what happened to me. So that when, when, people, to break when people go to therapy or if people are thinking about going to therapy there there's sometimes a lot of um apprehension or you just don't really know what you're getting into some people may think like you just lay on a couch and talk to someone and and no one really knows what goes on so what's your experience with therapy and what kind of recommendations would you give to someone if they're thinking about therapy for whatever reason they need well i don't need to i I don't mean to brag, but I'm really good at therapy. <laughs> so much so that our therapy Giving therapy or receiving therapy? Um, or, both. Or both. Both, yeah. Okay. I'm really good at it. So wait, what, okay, so wait, let's start with what makes you good at receiving therapy and then talk about why you're good at providing uh, therapy. Again, because of the training I've had at the Oprah Winfrey Show uh, and, and hearing powerful stories and understanding how stories are so important and being the em, em, the empath that I am um, being raised by my, my dad. And again, I was raised by my mom and dad, but my dad was really a real empath and um, hearing all of the experts, you know, I have Ian Van Zandt and Oprah Winfrey and Dr. Phil and even Dr. Oz, like on a, on a tape in my head. And I'm like, I can, I can get, I got Michelle Obama, Brene Brown. I mean like all of it. Cause it all resonates with me. So I'm really in tune with it. Uh, so much so that I actually thought about going back to school to get my degree in psychology, like just recently, but then I wrote my book instead. So it still could happen. But, uh, 
I, it is a talent and I, I'm very good at it because one, I don't have boundaries, which is why I'm in therapy. <laughs> um, I'm, I'll never forget saying to my therapist, since when is not having boundaries worse than lying? Are you kidding me? Um, so I, I really very open and, uh, I'm, I just, I, I, I see things and I remember things like I could have stories that I could tell, like the bank, like I remember that. And I put that together with why I do what I do now. Um, I was also on the Oprah Winfrey show for shopaholics, by the way, they never told me the topic. They said, Oh, you wear cute clothes. Let's be on the show. And then all of a sudden I'm next to Zsa Zsa Gabor with a lower third saying, you know, shopaholic, not really a great way to impress your boss. Uh, I was just young and like laughing about it. And then next thing you know, I'm on a shopaholics show, but the truth is I, I am a shopaholic. Um, and so anyway, um, but not, not a good, not a good idea. Um, so I just, I don't know. I just, I, I, I also did a comedy set. Sorry, I'm on a tangent, but I, I, it makes sense. I did stand up comedy last year and I will continue to do it. And I did a whole thing on me being very talented at therapy. I see everything as therapy. Like I'm at my esthetician's office. I'm laying down. We talk about everything. She's my favorite therapist. I, my friends, I want, I want everyone to weigh in on my life. So I'm very good at talking and understanding and being, uh, you know, getting that emotional IQ. Uh, I, I, I'm, this is not new. I've been in therapy before. We've been in couples therapy in the beginning of our marriage. Then we stopped. Um, it, we, the things we fought about, and not really fought, but like the things that were troublesome to us were money and geography. Like I never wanted to stay in Chicago. I always wanted, wanted to move east. So it was like, those were the two things that we fought about, not um, sex, not marriage, not, I mean, marriage, not in-laws. It was really financial and geography. The whole reason why we didn't buy that $350,000 house was because I wanted to move to Philadelphia. So then we end up with this, you know, million plus house that we shouldn't have ever bought. I just believe therapy uh, is good for everyone. I believe that no one is exempt from it. I think that it is the greatest blessing you can give to yourself. Uh, it saves marriages. If you're not willing to work, then forget it. You know, if you don't want to work at it, then it's a waste of time. So I don't, I don't, I don't want my husband to show up to therapy because he's being a good guy and he's supposed to. I want him to show up to therapy because he's going to use every minute of that time and every penny of that time that we pay for to get to the core of his pain. And I feel the same way about myself. I mean, I am not going to waste a minute in therapy. And um, it's, it's saved us in every way. So I would recommend it to anyone. It can be very expensive if it's not, you know, covered in your plan. But if you can find a uh, uh, the right therapist that's covered in your plan, I wholeheartedly tell everybody to explore it because it's, it's, it's really hard. How do you pick a therapist? Uh, mine was referred to me. And so I actually didn't even do the research and I went and we fell in love, even though he thought my letter was insane, but probably he never said that of course, but we, I think, I think if you, if you are looking for a marriage therapist, talk to your friends who 
have been through it themselves and find out who they like and who they recommend. That is, that's how it worked for us. We also do a lot of energy healing and I'll, I mean, our energy healer uh, has created, in fact, we have two, <laughs> we have an East coast and a Midwest energy healers and they are both very, very committed to helping us heal. Uh, both my husband and myself. My husband's very open to everything, uh, and and he just wants. He's filled with a lot of shame and guilt, and that's kind of what ended up making him make some bad choices. So we need to get rid of that shame and guilt in every way. And I really believe, and maybe you know, you can speak on this, but when you do have pain, it's not just in your heart, it's embedded in your bones and your body and your fascia. And our energy healer really helps release that pain from, um, from our bodies, from our physical bodies. So, so I'm a physician, for anyone who's not listening. The, I'm also a pain physician, so I deal with these pain things, off, pain issues often. Uh, and your dad was a physician. Yes. Now... I think keeping an open mind is is always important. Yes. So educate me on energy healing. Okay. So energy healing is different for whoever the the practitioner is because as I said we have two and they they go about it very differently. The one on the east coast is a lot about bringing in her angels and her guides and she sees and there's things and it's less talking, but more like physical laying on of hands and, and, and chakras. And it's not a massage, but it's, it's like Reiki, which is, um, which is the energy healing uh, through the heat of your body and your hands. How does she do that if she's on the East Coast? Okay, well, so when we are on the East Coast, we oh, see, I see her. Okay. But good so we happened to be during COVID, the first seven weeks of the quarantine, we were on the East Coast in New Jersey at my sister's home because she was not there. Uh, she and her family were to her, another home. And we were there because we were getting our girls out of New York City. I ended up getting COVID badly. And so I am still currently healing um, from a lot of lung issues and uh, body aches and all of that that COVID leaves you with. But during that time, Christine, our energy healer, she would call me nightly because uh, I was really sick and she would do it uh, through the phone and I felt it 100%. She would do her energy healing through Your the phone. Your dad was a doctor, correct? Well, he would, he would, he what would, would he say like, about that? Well, the only fight, and I think, I, I feel like I said this to you when we spoke, but the only fight my dad and I have ever had, ever, I've never had a fight with him but this. I was 22 years old. I had just moved to Chicago. I had a raging psoriasis outbreak that had already happened at my senior year in college. But just when I got to Chicago, uh, I found out about a holistic doctor that could help me and I couldn't afford it because it wasn't covered. And I asked my father if I, if he could help me and I wanted to go see this holistic doctor. So I have, you know, an autoimmune disease, which is psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. And he would give me anything in the world, but he's like, no, you cannot go see that holistic for doctor. Anyone who's, for anyone who's listening, what is a holistic doctor and what do they do? Well, I mean, I don't know that I'm an expert on it, but I would well, your say- your experience then? What is your experience with a holistic use, doctor? That they use other sources 
than just traditional, you know, pharma medicine that they use, you know, nutrition or energy healing or acupuncture or herbs or um, things that, uh, you know, holistic, those little pellets that I can't remember what the names are, but I'm taking them currently today. So, so it's, uh, it's, it's different. And then of course the integrative doctors are, you know, integrate both East and West, which is wonderful. But the point is, is that when you have an autoimmune disease and you are looking for answers, you explore everything. And I believe I today at 58 do both. I stick, uh, you know, a big old needle in my leg every two weeks that is a um, biologic for my psoriasis and my psoriatic arthritis. And I do a lot of energy healing and uh, herbs and um, and supplements, I would say. Not so much herbs anymore, supplements. And What supplements do you take? Okay, so I don't know at all how to say them, ever. I just have the little vials. Um, Ignatia is really good for uh, getting over uh, loss. And I'm taking one now for my lungs, and I'm sorry, I don't, I don't see it in front of me. I'm, I'm, if you do show notes, I'll, I'll text it to you. I'll do, I do show notes, if you because I'm yeah. sure people will be curious just what you're taking yeah. why. So I, you know, I mean, I do my vitamins like K and D and zinc and magnesium and all that, but I get these, uh, one for relief of loss and one just more recent was, is for my pleurisy and my, and my, uh, lungs. Is it helping? Um, uh, I've just started it. So I don't know. And in fact, I'm supposed to call my doctor, my holistic doctor. My, our therapist is a holistic MD as well. So he practices both, but we only see him for, uh, for marriage counseling, but he also is able to prescribe, um, holistic medicines. He's probably able to prescribe any medicine. Anyway, I, you know, I try to do teas, uh, you know, the, 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 the Dr. Schultz lung program, all of that. So I'm, always open to anything that will help. And I'm not a very good researcher on anything, but I definitely use referrals from people who I trust. So that's kind of the way I go through life. Uh, But that, yeah, that's my only fight that I've ever had with my dad. So I didn't go, but then I managed to do it later, I think. So your your book is is fantastic and I recommend anyone who... Thank looking you. for something to read, especially in COVID, to get it. It's called yeah. Speak. Your dad fe- is featured heavily in this book. So what would you say are the greatest lessons that you learned from your dad? Well, my dad was not perfect. He was a workaholic. So uh, he was uh, constantly at the, office, at the hospital. Um, but somehow he managed to always be there for his three kids and my mom. Um, but he, you know the 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 lessons that i learned from my dad are the list is enormous uh i would say the first thing is loyalty we had a mantra in our family that's my sister and if someone messed with my sister they were going to hear from me you know and it might not you know it was always like kind and whatever, but it was just like the, the feeling of, wait, that's my sister and don't mess with her. So I take that into, you know, that's my friend, that's my boss, that's my husband, that's my kid, that's my Oprah, that's my whatever. I, I'll protect anyone 
uh, and I will be loyal. And I think that loyalty has helped me in our marriage. I think if my husband had been married to someone else, he would not find himself married today. Okay, so loyalty, um, a very, very strong sense of um, staying in shape and being ready. And I always talk about show day, like show day, that's when you're ready and you're, you're, you, you've practiced everything that you needed to do and you're ready, whether that is for me, an Oprah Winfrey show or someone who's, you know, graduating from getting their master's or medical school or whatever it is, that moment where you're going to transform people's lives. That's what I feel like every time I exercise or go out for a run or something, I, I hear, I hear my dad like, come on, Luli, you can do it. You can do it. You can do it. And, uh, my dad like was always training to be an all American athlete. And I mean, he wasn't, but he thought, you know, well, I'm in training. I mean, and he never drank alcohol. He never smoked cigarettes. He was very much like, this is the vessel that God has blessed me with. And I'm going to keep it healthy because I might be called in to play soccer at the Olympics. Like, you know, crazy stuff, but this is what he, he did. So we were always working out, always very physically fit and very much team, team oriented. So team Oaksy is our last name is Oaks. And so it's like team Oaksy, we are a team and anyone on our team is welcome and we're going to protect that team. So the way I, you know, was a boss for my production team at, at Oprah, my audience team, I, I played every piece of my dad in that in that role because I wanted them to show their talents and use their talents and speak up and and be cohesive and and you know I might be good at this and you might be good at that and I might need help here and let's use it uh, to to build this wealth of talent that's diverse to get to the goal that we want and so you know loyalty physically feeling in shape, unconditional love, forgiveness. He just, he was just a really, he was basically, he was a doctor, but he was more of a coach. And he coached me through my whole life. And uh, I miss him every day. But the good news is, is that I'm so woo-woo that I talk to him all the time. And I see signs all the time from him. And I hear signs all the time from him. And they come in, in really big ways to me. And I'm grateful for it, but I wouldn't be able to see them or hear them if I wasn't invested in opening up my vessel to goodness. And so I say that to anyone listening, if you have lost someone who is important to you and you want to have them in your life, if you meditate, if you pray, if you write about them, they will be sitting right next to you. I didn't even want to finish my book because I wrote, like you said, so much about my dad. I felt like he was with me and my grandparents the whole time. And I felt like once I stopped writing that I would lose that. And in some ways I actually have in some ways. Writing is, 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 a, is a huge, huge um, way to heal. It's a beautiful practice. You also were around Oprah Winfrey, worked with her closely for many, many, many years. What are some of the lessons that you learned from her? Forgiveness, that's for sure. She taught the world that. I, you know, I take that every day of my life, forgiveness. It's so, it's so painful to hold a grudge. It's so painful to hate. 
it's so bad for your body and your mind and your heart and your spirit. So forgiveness is huge. Um, she taught me, uh, you know, I already had a really strong work ethic, but she taught, obviously, we all wanted to please her and work hard for the amazing product that we were delivering. I have a quick question. So why is that? Because a lot of people have bosses and a lot of people don't really want to work for their boss. A lot of people actually don't like their boss. I think that's fairly common. What is it about Oprah that made her a good boss and you want to work for her? Well, I mean, for anyone who's ever seen her speak, like the Cecil B. DeMille uh, award that she accepted when everyone thought she was going to run for president, like what she said, everyone was like, oh my God, that was that was normal for us. Well, the field's wide open. She should consider running. <laughs> I know, right? I wish. But that was like normal for us. That was that was just being in the studio at a company meeting. She would. That's how she speaks. So every time I was ever in a meeting with her, whether it was an all-company meeting, which she held lots of, which I think is so key as a CEO and boss of a, of a company, to include everyone from the staff, from the lowest to the highest in one space and treat everybody the way they should be treated like a team, which is what my father uh, taught me. Um, She spoke in a way that made your hair on your arms stand up perfectly straight, your heart fill, your body with oxytocin everywhere. And it didn't matter if you were walking, you know, and seeing her in the hallway. And again, she's human. I'm not saying that she's always pontificating, but like, and I used to say to myself, I can't believe that I get to have a boss like this. But at the same time, it made sense because a story about my dad, which I write about in my book, I went to the hospital with him every once in a while on the weekends and did rounds with him. And everyone knew his name and he knew everyone's names and he stopped to talk to them and how are you? And, and, and he made them feel like they were seen and heard and it was all about the team and it was all about how can I help you? And so I wanted to be a part of that. I wanted a piece of that, but I knew unlike you, I could not go to medical school. I was not brave enough or smart enough. And then when my mom invited me to the Mike Douglas show and I saw the girl on the set with a clipboard and I'm like, I want to do that. And I fell in love with being in a TV studio. The, the combination of my mom's invitation and seeing my dad at play at work and seeing how he transformed people's lives, that is what took me to the Oprah Winfrey show. So even though I would sit in the in the studio or in the meeting and I'd say, I can't believe, you know, or the, the beautiful thank you notes she wrote or, you know, a phone call that she'd leave for me, a message. Like, I'd be like, I can't believe this is my boss, but I can. It makes sense. It really does. It makes sense to me. I was a hundred percent drawn to her. And I think everyone that's ever worked for her and feels the way I feel was drawn to her. It was a universal pull. And that's what made us so successful because we wanted to work really hard and do really well for her. But it wasn't just, you know, I've worked with a lot of TV producers before and after. It wasn't just, you know, and everyone in television works hard and everyone wants to do well. There was something different there. And I think uh, I just call it the magic and it's Oprah magic. And it was sprinkled and uh, 
throughout the building and uh, we continue to sprinkle it in all the areas of our lives that we're doing outside of the building that no longer exists. And it was magic. And we all came together and we made magic because of, I, I believe that magic happens when um, talent, a talented group of people come together for one specific purpose and is, are, and are led by the, 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 the top person who embodies that purpose and keeps us, you know, on track. And that is when magic happens. That could happen in your temple, in your church, in your family. When, when that purpose is at the top and embodied in that purpose in the most beautiful way, and all the talented people that come together to up support that purpose, that is called magic. So you've seen your dad speak his purpose, sp- speak as a physician. You've seen Oprah speak her purpose and the magic that surrounds your dad, surrounds Oprah. And mm-hmm. then that obviously transferred to you. You wrote your book and now you're teaching people yeah. to speak their purpose. So do you want to talk a little bit about your company and how you're yeah. helping people speak their magic? Sure. Well, I wrote my book, uh, my story, my story allows people to understand their story. So while our, my story isn't going to be the same as your story or anyone who reads my book, there will be pieces of it that land on people's hearts that say, oh, that brings up a lot of, of stuff for me, good or bad. Uh, it's basically what I was talking about with my husband. You know, that woman's story landed on his heart when he was at the Karen Center and it really, it, it, changed it changed him and so my purpose is is some piece of my story can land on someone's heart and change them for the better then i've served my purpose that is that is the best way to describe what i do but my company is my business is called love speaks it's just me i uh i use my story to help others speak their story uh i also get hired by companies um groups, women's groups, nonprofits to either be a keynote speaker and I tie in the brand of whatever whatever the mission is that I'm speaking on or to and use my life lessons and tie it into their brand uh, and how it works for them. Like I, I, I always love to bring up the women truckers that I went to speak to an association. It was awesome and tied in, you know, on the road to being you. It was It was one of those, you know, cute tie-ins because on the road. And I just talked to uh, CDW women, uh, a computer discount warehouse, and uh, tied in their brand because their tagline is people who get it. And so I tied all about getting yourself. Like, yeah, you get your products, but do you get you? And do you, are you bringing your story to your team? I just did uh, a school in Brooklyn, a private school, whose team was doing a team leadership. They, they do all the fundraising for the school and they were doing a team leadership week. And I worked with them on how to use your story in your work. So I believe that when we have a story and we share it with others, we are then in purpose because whatever our story is and it lands on someone's heart, it helps others. So I write about my grandfather. He drove a Lincoln Continental. He drank VO on the rocks. Your grandfather 
He might not have driven that same car, but he drove something. He might have not have had that drink, that cocktail, but he drank something or he didn't. Um, it just, it's like when, when, when that, and I, I say this word oxytocin, the, the stories, when we tell our stories, we connect with each other. We have that warm, fuzzy feeling. We all bring the piece of our own story to the story that we're hearing. And that is what really builds empathy and kindness and confidence and leadership. And that's what I want to help people with. I've been blessed with it. I've worked hard at it. But I want to help people not only tell their story, but be able to tell it with without fear and have some fun with it. Because the number one fear people have prior to pandemic, probably being the number one fear now, is public speaking. And I, for some reason, am not scared it's because I am so connected to who I am that, and I'm in my purpose. And I always say that fear has no access when you're in your purpose. And my purpose that I discovered when my dad took me to the hospital and my mom took me to the Mike Douglas show is to be on a stage in a television studio and entertaining an audience. And that's what I do. And so I'm not scared. I'm scared of bridges, planes, boats, trains, tunnels, elevators, self-park parking lots, getting lost while driving, but I'm not afraid of speaking in public. And I want people to be able to ease that fear because why should anyone be scared to speak at their son's bar mitzvah or their daughter's wedding or a keynote or a TED talk? Nobody should be. And because if you know the person, you love that person, or you know the subject that you're speaking on, and you know it well, all you have to do is rest assured that you know you're prepared. It's show day, you're prepared, and you're going to transform people's lives by being who you are. And that is relying on your heart. I think that is the perfect way to say, to end this podcast and say thank you. Sally Lou, thank you very much for taking the time for this podcast. I read the book. It's a phenomenal book. Speak, love your story. Your audience is waiting. And we'll include the links to that. Um, you can get it on Amazon and her company, lovespeaks.com. The link will also be in the show notes. So Sally Lou, thank you again for joining. Yeah, Thank you so much, Chris. Follow me at Live Love Speaks on Instagram and lovespeaks.com. And I'm very happy to be um sitting here with you today via Zoom, but on your podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a comment on the Get Healthy 360 Facebook page and consider subscribing to this podcast. Thanks.